let's take a hike and see the site. It's time for Architecture Coffee Andy. Hello, this is Hollywood C, and you're listening to Architecture Coffee and Inc., a podcast dedicated to introducing concepts, detailing out designs, and tackling the architecture you might not realize the meaning behind. I'm your hostess, and I'm here today to start introducing you to the designs that make you wonder why. So I ask you to brew your coffee, grab your sketchbook and pen, and let's begin. Good morning, everyone, to all my listeners, old and new. If this is your first time or you are a hardcore binger, welcome. This is the middle of a three-episode week where I am basically taking advantage of the fact that it is spring break. Altogether, the three mini-episodes will basically add up to double the content of a normal week. So normally, my episode average is to like 30 minutes, with interview episodes being longer. But this week is basically an hour of content altogether. Normally, I give a spiel about how you can find all of the sources on the blog, but because I am producing so many episodes at once, it's better to say that the blog will be updated by Friday. So basically, please pretend that it doesn't exist until then. Yesterday, I was doing interviews for a chunk of the day, so I am still nice and pumped up because I love talking to people. I also loved how many times I was able to say spring break last episode but I promise I won't do that to everyone again. But everyone, remember as we begin to always check your sources, check your facts, and more importantly, check me. But before the show begins, I'm going to take a moment to focus on a more serious topic. I have no doubt my listeners have been following the news in the past few weeks and are aware of the fighting ongoing between the Ukraine and Russia. I'll be sharing some information on ways to help with war relief efforts from the Red Cross and a few others. If you can and feel called to donate and help, the information is currently on the Facebook page. I know that for some of my listeners, podcasts are a way to escape the news and reality for a few hours, but please, at least send a kind thought, good karma, prayer, well wish to all those who are affected by what is going on. If you ever know of similar efforts or would like to share a cause that I am not aware of, please always feel free to share them. But please remember that wars may be waged by governments, but the casualties are always people. This message is going to be released in several episodes that are coming out in the future. So please, if you are able, please see what efforts you can assist with that are in your area. Okay, so I thought that given the more recent news, we clearly needed to detour into the breaking of the killing stone. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. That is what this episode is about in depth. But in summary, a stone said to house a demon split open and released their terror onto the world. So what does this have to do about architecture? Well, my dear listeners, I have been looking for a reason to bring in the concept of cultural landscapes, and this is that moment. I will say, as soon as I heard of the news, I thought I was quite clever texting my friends, well, the demon will have to just take a number and get in line, because we're still struggling through a pandemic and World War III. And then when researching the episode, I found like 400 different variations of that same joke online. So clearly I'm not as original as I thought. But first, let's define a cultural landscape. So overall, a cultural landscape is a concept that originated 
more from the geography, anthropology, and ecology side of life. But as the field of landscape architecture has been evolving, we have begun to really embrace and understand the importance of this. Nowadays, you can go onto websites and find agencies like the National Park Services in America or the governmental environmental agencies and find that several global governments or universities have some variation of it. I found multiple before I realized I was straying dangerously close to a rabbit hole. But basically, it's a landscape that has some form of cultural value. This can be due to religious significance, historical significance, a significant person may have had an association with the site, which covers everything from prophets to presidents to individuals like Genghis Khan. What is, is essentially key to this concept is that it has a value either to the residents or the individuals in proximity to the location. And that's really where people struggle with the concept, because in everyday conversation, when people say value, they're referring to economic value, capital, money, or decreasing slash increasing property values. But here, think of value as having weight, importance, or significance. While it can also have economic value, that's not the driving goal behind the importance of the landscape. A good portion of the time, this landscape will include natural resources and animals, and the animals can either be wild or domestic. But for today, understand that this landscape and location fits because it has historical, religious, cultural, and even emotional value. I would also like to make sure that everyone realizes that the value isn't because some random individual three countries over decided it or declared that it was a cultural landscape, but because it was already valued and or shaped by humans locally. One option is that landscape architects become stewards of this scape. There's also a cultural landscape foundation that lists the four different types of landscapes, vernacular, ethnographic, historic, and designed. We are gonna talk more about this next week, but for today, I feel like this is a pretty good starting point for this topic. I don't wanna to go too much into it that it detracts from the actual location that we're gonna talk about today. Yoto University Rare Materials Digital Archives has a copy of the Otogi Oset in which the tales of Tami no Mo Mai are discussed. The archives has the descriptions and translations of each of the pages of the manuscript of the story and includes some beautiful original illustrations. I wanted to point them out as a resource used both because I am using translations, which my longtime listeners know that I always encourage everyone to double check because they aren't always accurate, even if I am just translating something directly. And also because unlike other episodes where I spend more time per episode researching, I only started researching this when the news broke roughly nine days ago. Well, uh, nine days ago from when the episodes released. Again, if I accidentally mispronounce something, please understand that I am not doing it with any disrespect. So before we start diving into the tales of Tamano Noma, um, in Ogiyosit is our prose narrative from Japan and were written during the Muromachi period predominantly with some dating back to the Endo period. If you Google that, there is an anime and manga with the same name, except the Ogoto is separate from the joshit. In fact, Wikipedia uses the two words separated with a hyphen, but some don't. Tamino no Mai is a kitsu or a fox spirit 
that was old enough by the time the story begins that they were able to shift into a beautiful woman and hide their nine tails behind a beautiful visage, strong enough that they were able to enter as a courtesan of various king's courts throughout China and Japan. A kitsu is a yokai, which I have seen translated into demons, but is closer to an all-encompassing name that includes demons, spirits, and supernatural entities. They can both be both positive or negative, but as you have probably guessed, this one is negative. Kitsu will oftentimes be associated with an element like fire, water, etc., and may have several abilities associated with them. The older they are, the more tails they have. So in this case, Kamenino no Mei is already an old Kitsu, and many, even the positive ones, are associated with trickery and mischief. They also have the ability to produce foxfire and turn into a human slash shapeshift once they reach a certain age. However, in many of the tales, including the story we were talking about today, they oftentimes possess people instead, causing grief and torment. Kamenino no Mai story starts in China, where they enter the court underneath concubine Daji and quickly become the favorite of King Zhu, the last king underneath the Shang dynasty. Underneath this king, they caused the ruler to be so consumed with pleasing them that the kingdom fell into neglect and they were allowed to torment the people at leisure. Eventually, this led to enough unrest that they were forced to flee, and from there, a series of women are believed to be Tama no, no Me, either possessed or were killed and replaced by the Kitsu. Each woman is both devastatingly beautiful and cruel, inspiring both terror and death. Other names include Lady, Lady Kayo of India, Vaso Siko again in China, and finally Kaminino Mai in Japan underneath Emperor Toba. In India, thousands were killed and beheaded, while in some variations, they are associated as a consumer of human flesh. Depending upon the myth, it changes the reason why and who. And in some myths, it is only young women, while others, it's only men. And reading the stories all together makes it sound like either an evolving spirit, one that tires of the same thing. Each time they are defeated, they are driven away by either human forces, samurai, priests, or amyoji, which are practitioners of protection, magic, and divination. In the last, under the guise of Kaminonome, they were exposed by a man who was able to tell who they really were, and after a battle, imprisoned, killed, or transformed in the rock by Mount Nasuda, Nasudake, until a Buddhist monk, Vino, bathed in the nearby springs and purified himself enough to crack the rocks into pieces, scattering them across the lands to make them return of Tamanino Mai different, difficult. A few other locations believed to have been a part of this were Fukushima and Hiroshima. Each stone takes the name, this Hosuki, or killing stone, as the stone kills everyone in contact with it. Some of my sources believe that the cracking of the stone means that the spirit can now be allowed to roam again, once more taking on a woman's visage and starting a reign of terror much worse than seen before. Others believe that when the priests split the rock, while the stone itself is cursed to bring death to those who touch it, 
and the evil seeps into the surrounding landscape, the spirit itself was either cleansed or took a vow that it would no longer bring pain and devastation. The story and variations of it have been circulating for a while, including at the Nasu Onsen, a hot springs resort where the hot springs were discovered in the Nara period. Among the things included in the location is a mixture of the traditional and modern bathhouses, as even though the terrain around the stone and across the mountains are noxious and sulfuric, the waters of the hot springs are restorative. The Nasu mountain range that the site calls home is a land formed of all volcanoes, which are still active. Currently, you can still hike up to the stone and through the landscape, as well as going to the nearby shrine. Before I discuss the shrine, I do want to mention that if you have the, read the book, The Narrow Road to the Deep North by Matsu Bosho, this is actually the same region. And in the book, he describes the landscape in a way that I can't. I own a copy and it is 100% worth the read. I was introduced to it in a general world literature class in undergrad, but I really enjoyed it. So when you see our previous pictures of the stone, you will notice that it is adorned in menowa and de, or a rope and paper streamers, which is used to show the significance of the location. It also has a wooden railing and around the wooden sign and around wooden signs denoting and warning visitors of the site. Each year a ritual is conducted where they attempt to appease the spirit. It starts at the Nasu Onse Shrine, which I will be posting pictures of on the blog as well. The valley is called Faino Karada and is named after the location of where children wait so that along in the underworld. So along the trail and route, you will often see the guardian, Vizo, with clothing attached to honor those children who died and to provide an offering and cloth for the children. I mention this because several of the sources I read merely described the statues quite rudely clearly without bothering to figure out what they mean. So I want to warn anyone who researches further. Also in the area, there was a community undertaking to carve about a thousand of them. So this is an image that is both incredibly important and a key part of the heritage of this location. But apparently a group actually made an app so you can experience the site in a new way through AR. But the entire site, mountain and surrounding hills is covered in areas dedicated to historic battles, hot springs, and religious worship. The Killing Stone area itself is a mixture of rocks jutting into the area with sulfur dioxide and other gases sweeping in, filled with lava stones. Sometimes the gases will claim an unfortunate animal, adding to the lore around the site. The valley is broken up by wooden walkways and bridges and well-taken-care paths. The shrine itself is breathtaking with beautiful wooden construction and embedded to the surroundings with a series of stone and markers to assist you on your climb. One thing I will mention is that there are several interesting variations on names that show up across all of the websites for the locations we're talking about. So there are actually a series of shrines across the region, and I'm assuming that's where a lot of the confusion is coming from. I myself spent a lot of time trying to verify that I had the right locations. The shrines are related together in a way, and one website said that there's about 80 shrines in total throughout the region. Apparently, cracks began to show up in the stone, and it is believed from a scientific approach that this allowed for rainwater 
to get inside, causing the stone to eventually split. The area was registered in 1957, and some media has reported that they are still deciding if they will repair the stone, remove it, or whether to just leave the pieces as they fell. But personally, I would love to hike up and visit all of the sites in the region. But only time will tell if Tamino Noma will once again herald in a reign of terror, now freed from the stone. But once again, a big thank you to all my listeners. I will at some point update the blog by Friday, I mean. Um, so please rate and review. If you liked it, loved it, hated it, let me know. I love, the, uh, I love hearing feedback and more importantly, sparking conversations. I think everyone knows we have a Facebook page and group just under the same name as the podcast and architectureinc.design.blog is the website and everything will be linked in the show notes. Now, tomorrow I will be posting the cryptid architecture episode. I posted the release schedule for the episodes this week on Facebook, but as always, may your coffee mugs be full and your ink wells never run dry. <laughs>